My reflex is that I should find a few verses that support the ministry of trail life, something that is near and dear to my heart, something that I love, and kind of pull them out and convince you guys how important this ministry is. I want you to support us and and make sure we're really, really successful. That's my reflex. But if we're supposed to be a premier youth leadership and character development program, like is our goal, rooted in, devoted to, and sustained by the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, how could we talk about anything else in our short time today? So today, we're going to be in the latter part of the eighth chapter of Acts. Leading up to our story in, in, in Acts 7, we find the young church. Y'all, it is booming. Miracles are happening. Thousands and thousands of people are converting from Judaism to Christianity. Revivals breaking out all across the city. It is just an incredible time to be a Christian and an incredible time in history. We end chapter 7 and we're confronted with a very different landscape. Our early church brothers and sisters just had to process the first murder of a Christian because of their faith. Their brother Stephen was stoned to death by the local religious leaders. Just like that, the paradigm had shifted. What it meant to be a Christian took on an entirely new and weighty meaning. According to Acts 8, 1 through 3, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. All except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house to house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. We see that scene. While, while we are so incredibly blessed to live in this country, where we don't see scenes like that playing out in our neighborhoods, it doesn't take too far of a look to see that happening all across our world. It's going to be stretched back for 2,000 years to this moment when the meaning of being a Christian took on this different light. So here we find it. All of the believers but the apostles are running for their lives. Our story picks up following Philip as he arrives a political and religious refugee in Samaria. Some scholars place him in the Samarian capital, uh, city of Sebast. It was about 60 miles north of Jerusalem or about a week's journey. Now if you read the text, it's interesting and we'll read it in a second. It reads that Philip travels down to the city of Samaria. Just a quick aside, I thought that was interesting because as you look at the map, Jerusalem's here and Sebastian's here. It's like, how in the world did he travel down? You know, and so I, I, I couldn't let it go and I dug into it and come to find out, I didn't know this, Jerusalem sits on, on a top of a hill, on top of a mountain. And so you actually lose about 2,000 feet of elevation in the 63 miles. And so he did indeed travel down to Sebast. Philip, despite the intense persecution Christians were facing, people he knew, people he broke bread with, people he lived his life with, being drug out and thrown in Roman prisons. He started a successful preaching ministry. 
He was healing the sick, casting out demons. It was just like the old days. Everything was going just the way it should. Crowds were following around. As a matter of fact, the local leader of the Gnostics, which was kind of a heretical Christian hybrid, Christianese group, um, that the leader of the local group professed faith in Jesus Christ. He was baptized. Philip was having outstanding success. Everywhere he went, people were turning to Jesus. He was trending on social media. I think he was on Tim Tebow's podcast. He was getting invited to like every single graduation party. It was at point like how much crawfish is too much crawfish. He was having like just the, the time of his life. And then in a way that must have been <laughs> frustrating and, and maddening and frankly a little scary, the Holy Spirit told him to leave Samaria leave his status, leave all of the outstanding work that was being done to advance the gospel. Things were going well. It's not like the the ministry was kind of heading off and all right, this one's good to go. He just told him to leave. To head back down through Jerusalem, where all that persecution happened, where people are being drugged from their homes, and back down south of Jerusalem on a desert road to nowhere. A lonely, empty road headed towards Egypt. It is here on the other side of Jerusalem where our story will pick up. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Please stand with me, as is our tradition, out of the respect for the reading of God's word. Acts 8, 26 through 40. It'll be on the screen if you do not have your Bible or device. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had not gone to Jerusalem to worship, or excuse me, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and was on his way home, sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet, Do you understand what you're reading? Asked Philip. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, please, please tell me who the prophet is talking about, himself or someone else. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. You may be seated. Father, thank you so much for this time we have together. Father, I pray that you would use this this empty vessel, this broken vessel, to proclaim your excellencies and your glories and your word. Father, would you please open up the hearts and minds of the people you have gathered, and I just pray that you'd let this time be a blessed time, a time where you are honored. In your name I pray, amen. So we see a common theme in Philip's behavior up to this point. 
Philip exhibits a reckless, fanatical, kind of frankly foolish appearing obedience to God. Philip leaves comfort and familiarity time and time again, trusting that God had a better plan, that God's plan was better than his. Well, how, how does that, like, awesome. How does that apply to me? Christians are not called to passive obedience. Or excuse me, to passive, whoa, I got that wrong. Christians are not called to passive comfort. We are called to bold obedience. So if we're not called to passive comfort and we are called to bold obedience, what do they look like? What's passive comfort? Y'all got your shoes on and fix and step on some toes. We're going to be all right. We're going to make it together. What does passive comfort look like? Entertainment. Social media. Netflix, Hulu, Paramount+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, Amazon, YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and a whole list of others that I did not list. Social media, where we can just put on our blinders, sit back, unplug from the world, and scroll, and scroll, and scroll, and next episode, and why are you asking if I'm still watching? Obviously, I'm still watching. I watched the last seven episodes. Why would I not watch the eighth episode? Entertainment. Now, is, is there any, this whole list of items I'm about to go through, is there anything wrong with that at all? I, anything wrong with those at all? Absolutely not. There's nothing wrong with Facebook. There's nothing, well, Hmm. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with social media on its head. There's nothing wrong with any of the items we're fixing to, to, to work through. But whenever they take pre- uh, prominence in your life, whenever you look up and you realize, oh my goodness, I just spent four hours scrolling Facebook. What'd you gain from that? Absolutely nothing. A little bit of anxiety. That's where I'm at. What about our hobbies? Can passive comfort look like our hobbies? So what about fishing? Y'all, I love to fish. My wife loves to fish more than I do, but I love to fish. Can fishing look like passive comfort? Can, can hunting, can youth sports, can, can youth sports look like that? Can, can band, can choir, can dance, can gymnastics? See, as a culture, we are so comfortable with being busy. It's a security blanket. We love being able to just say, oh, I'm, I'm every, okay, whenever you go talk to somebody, anybody and say, how are you doing? The common response is, man, I'm busy. We love being busy. It's something that we are very, very comfortable with. We hold on to it with our lives. However, margin and silence make us very uncomfortable. So are you saying that I can't go fishing anymore? That's ridiculous. My best time when I'm connected to God is out in wilderness. I love to fish. Hey, me too. Absolutely. I understand that. Are you, am I saying that, that I'm trying to deprive your children of all of those major league scouts that are at their 10-year-old baseball game? Maybe. Maybe. If your heart hardens, as I read through items on that list, if, if, if something pricks in your soul as I go through that, if you feel the need, if you start feeling that, that frustration rise and a little bit of your heart rate going up and you're like, you know what, I'm going to go talk to him. I'm going to talk to him to explain my unique situation at the end of this, then you might, you might want to think about that. You might want to take a step back and reflect why that's causing you to react in that way. 
If you can't fit in time for God, but you never miss a tea time, you don't know your Bible, but you know every first pick draft of every team for the last several years, it is possible you are living in passive comfort. Please understand, church. Please recognize that the devil is overjoyed with your indifference. He is overjoyed with your indifference. He is satisfied by your stress, and he is pleased with your preoccupation. He does not need you to be actively engaged in sin. He just needs you out of the fight. That's it. He just needs you distracted. He just needs you just just caught up in the busyness. As soon as we get to summer, then I'll have a chance to breathe. You know how it is. Kids are going nuts and all the sports. Just as soon as I get to the summer, summer's going to make it. We're going to be okay. You might be preoccupied. Christianity is a wartime religion. Do not be mistaken. There is a war going on all around us. Suicide, depression, anxiety are at skyrocketing rates we have not seen in this country. In fact, most of the times in recorded history, we see rates of of this type of mental illness skyrocketing is right before the demise of civilization. We are in the middle of a fight. And at the same time, not only is our country going down, but the cost of associating yourself with and publicly following Jesus is rising. Philip could have stayed in Sebast. He could have stayed in Samaria. He would have continued to make a positive impact on his community. He was doing the right thing. He was doing good things. He could have built a brand new building, started launching satellite campuses, got the best worship pastor they could possibly find, but that's not what God had called him to. God called him to walk that lonely desert road. So if that's passive comfort, then on the other hand, when you say, okay, what's bold obedience? What does that look like? Give me a list of things to do. I'm ready. My type A's are got their pens out. Jessica's ready to write. She's ready to go. What do I need to do? Tell me. <laughs> he, is, that being God, is calling you to live a life that reflects Jesus. Do the people in your life know that you're married? Do they know you have kids? Do they, do they know what your kids do? Do they know about your last fishing trip? Do they know about all the things you do in your free time? And if they know all those things and don't know your Savior, is that a prominent thing in your life? Our God doesn't want your lip service. He wants your obedience. He wants your love. How do you interact with your neighbors? Remember, that's, that's the people who live next to you like behind the really high fences, you maybe awkwardly wave at once or twice a week and then stay in your car a little extra long so they can go in their house before you get out of your car so you don't have to talk to them. Those people, do you know their names? Have you had a chance to interact with them? Do you, have you had a chance to, to just not even, and guys, please, don't be that person who like turns every single conversation to like, you know, hey, I'm thirsty. Well, Jesus is the water of life. Don't, don't Jesus juke people. Don't, <laughs> please don't. Nobody likes that person. That's, so don't, don't hear this, but I got it. Everyone's going to know. And, but if God calls you to it, go for it. Just, just don't be that person. Um, <laughs> yeah. So 
but how are you going to interact with your neighbors? Do they know that you are going to treat them with kindness and love and respect? Do you always pick up trash you see in their yard wherever you're mowing? Maybe that little side strip of grass, do you mow their side as well? Is there a big fight over where the property line is? How do you treat your neighbors? Philip's life was in a constant state of upheaval. Since the first moment he heard those fateful words from the mouth of Jesus, follow me. Following Jesus for three years from that first moment, he'd seen everything Jesus had done. He followed him as he was stretched wide on the cross. He followed him after he rose from the grave on the third day, he had followed him after he'd been commissioned to go out and make disciples of the world, to reach the lost. He followed him after the murder of Stephen. He followed him in the persecution and in the heartbreak. He followed him in his ministry in Sebast. And when God called him to the desert, he followed him there as well. See, you are always called to obedience. Always means always. You are always called to obedience. It will always push you to be a place where you are uncomfortable because you are always required to rely on the providence of God. Like I said before, if you get to the end of this and think that you can check the box and have the thing to do, you've missed the point. You can always count on God, and you always have to. If you're going to be following him to a point where you're being obedient, he will require that you rely on him. If God needs your competence, (laughs) my competence and my skill and your skill to accomplish his means, number one, we're just in a whole heap of trouble. Number two, where's, where's his glory? Where's, where, where can we showcase his greatness, his majesty? God is actively calling you to himself and his plans. Whatever he calls you to, he will give you the power to obey through his provision and his provision alone. In our culture, so many times, especially with this, you know, as many young families as God has brought to this, this church, which I just praise him for, that's incredible. We hear obedience, immediately go to the kids, immediately go to like right, wrong, do, not do, and it be, again, it becomes a list. Understand that whenever we are called to be obedient to God, it is an act of, of opening up and not being able to rely on ourselves. It's an act of saying, God, I don't require what it takes to accomplish these things you've called me to. And that's right where he wants you. We see time and time again in the life of Philip the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit gives him the ability again and again and again to be obedient. Obedience, however, is not a matter of convenience. Let's go back to our eunuch, to the Ethiopian eunuch. This man of great power and wealth and influence. So, so he was, we had the Candake of, of Ethiopia, which was the queen of Ethiopia. It's like Pharaoh, it's a title. And this eunuch was in charge of all the treasury. So he was in charge of all of the coin for an entire nation. This man had, I mean, he had a a retinue that went with him. He had everything you could possibly want at that time. And when obedience was called of him and he understood what he was reading, he immediately said, let's get off this cart. How how can I be, can I get get baptized now? There's water over there. Can we do this now? 
Obedience is not a matter of convenience. Who's had their kid and you tell them to do something and they say, just a minute. <laughs> or they say, or you, you ask them and then you ask them five minutes, hey, have you done anything? I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to. Obedience is not a matter of convenience. So how can I be obedient? How can you be obedient? Are you praying with your family? Just some questions I want you to think through. Are you praying with your family? Are you praying for your family? Where does your time and your resources go? Jesus told us that where our treasure is, so will be our heart. Where are your time and resources? What behaviors mark your life? If you're a Christian, and, you're, and I, this, this was me, so don't, don't think I'm, I'm calling you out. This was me for many, many years. If you're a Christian and, and, and you struggle with something, I struggle with anger. I've shared that from up here before. I, have a, a, you know, for, I, I was marked for many years of my life for having a, a very short fuse, a very quick temper. Still have a short fuse. <laughs> God's working. But if you go and say, you, you preface, I'm a Christian, I'm, but I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just I, I get angry. You are not letting the Spirit come in and do his work. What marks the behaviors in your life? We know what the Holy Spirit produces. We know the fruit as the Holy Spirit comes through is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we know there is no law against these things. What marks your life? Like I said before, if you hear this message and think you need to try harder or follow more rules, you have entirely missed the point. We can be obedient because of the provision of God, the work of his Holy Spirit, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Obedience is possible because of the gospel. I'll tell you guys a story. Dawson Trotman. Anybody know the name Dawson Trotman? Dawson was a young man in California in the 1930s. And in that time, he accepted Jesus as his Savior. At his California church, he began to be discipled by a Sunday school teacher. He took, the, the teacher took this fledgling Christian and helped his faith grow deep and strong. In 1933, three years later, Dawson had the opportunity to disciple a young sailor named Les Spencer, who he'd met in Long Beach at the naval base. Over the next year, Dawson and Les spent time together in prayer, studying uh, the word, and memorizing scripture. Les began to experience life change. And soon he began to invest in the sailors around him just as Dawson had invested in him. By 1940, there were 125 Christians on board the ship that Les was stationed to, the USS West Virginia. The West Virginia was stationed at Pearl Harbor the morning of December 7th, 1941, the day that will forever live in infamy. The West Virginia was sunk by the surprise Japanese naval attack. The surviving sailors were transferred to other ships in the fleet. And by the time World War II had ended, there were thousands of what were now called navigators, these men who decided, I'm going to take one small step of obedience and pour into the person next to me. 
thousands of navigators on hundreds of ships and bases across the world. When the war ended, many of these sailors went to college, bringing the gospel to college campuses across the country. Because of the simple obedience of Dawson Trotman, the gospel has reached hundreds of thousands of people across the world over the last 90 years. As I close and the the band's going to start playing, I want to draw your attention back to the eunuch. We know from the passage that the eunuch had made a long journey. Journeying from, from northern Africa, from Ethiopia, all the way to Jerusalem. He's there for one purpose. It, the text tells us he was there to worship the one true God. He was there to worship the God of the Jews. Many commentators note that because of the law concerning eunuchs in Deuteronomy, which states no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. This Ethiopian man, this man of great power and great influence, was not permitted in the inner court to worship. He was denied access to God. Can you imagine the embarrassment? Can can you imagine the shame of traveling all that way, having a whole group of followers there to serve you, and you get turned around at the door? because he was dirty, he was broken, he wasn't enough. It's no wonder that on his journey home, he was looking into the scriptures. He was looking into the exact same scriptures that prompted him to take that journey to Jerusalem. The scriptures, as he'd read aloud in Isaiah, but could not make sense of the passage. God, in his grace and mercy, brought this man who had been laid low, Philip, who was being obedient. I'm sure he asked Philip, who, who is this person that we're reading about? Who's in this passage? Who's been deprived justice just like I have? Who's not going to have descendants just like me? Who's this man? Philip climbed into his chariot and told him, Jesus of Nazareth is that man. You see, Jesus had been subjected to a kangaroo cord. Jesus had been deprived of justice as he hung on that cross. Jesus suffered humiliation and death. Jesus took our sin and our shame. You see, the ultimate sign of obedience was Jesus remaining on that cross and taking the sin of the world. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I can imagine Philip slowly unrolling that scroll two chapters down to Isaiah 56. So after he explains who Jesus is, he says, hey, why don't, let's scroll, let's look lower down in the scroll. And this is what Isaiah reads. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy, who choose to do what pleases me commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. (laughs) In the eunuch's despair and shame, he found that Jesus 
had rose from the grave with all power. He had a savior that was greater than any legacy he could leave. The good news of Jesus cut through all racial divides, all cultural divides. The good news of Jesus says, despite my sins, despite my failings, every single day, Jesus died, Jesus was raised, and I can find new life in him. Church, through our simple obedience, might our God do something special in our homes? Might he do something special in our neighborhoods, in our communities? Might he do something special in our world? Coppet Freeld, where is God calling you to be obedient today? I'd like our prayer team to come up. If, if, if God has pricked your heart in a certain way, if you don't know him, if you, if you, if you hear this and you're like, I just, I, I, something's telling me that this is the path I need to take. This is, this is the, the missing key I've been looking for. I'd ask you to come up and talk with one of our prayer leaders who are making their way up to the front. Maybe this is a turning point for you. Maybe this is a point where, where you realize that the, the direction I've been going, where I've been so surrounded by busyness, so comfortable in my little cocoon of mess. You need to step back, create margin, and see what the God of the universe might do for you if you allow him to come in and do work on your life. Father, I pray that you would have the next step for everyone within the sound of my voice, heavy on hearts. I pray that those who need to know you, who are tired and need rest that only you can provide, will accept your free gift this morning. God, I pray that you would use this church, use these people, your people, to start a great revival through the simple act of obedience. As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equip for Good. Thanks for listening.